Well, good morning. That's what I like to hear. Everybody's good? Good, 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 good. Well, I hope that, uh, that all of us have been uh, thinking through the implications of fearing God and what that should mean for us and our worship of Him. Uh, I hope that this week has been um, just a wonderful time of worship for you, just in response of who God is. And, and, uh, and, and I hope that because today, um, and really through this entire book of Malachi, what we, what we see is that that's not always the case. Uh, it's not always that people um, who, who know that they ought to fear God, or who uh, or at least should know that they ought to, f- that they, that they ought to fear God, um, it's not always the case that they do, and, 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 and there are times when though there are people who um, know that God is to be feared, know and should know that they ought to stand in fear of Him, and they resist. Uh, they're unrepentant, they're um, prideful, and they go on in their um, self-condemning direction and, and, and resist the greatness of God and don't respond to the greatness of God. Certainly that's what we see in the priests, in the Israelites, in the book of Malachi. And uh, that's what we continue to see even as we look today in that. And so my prayer, my hope is that we wouldn't be this way. We wouldn't be like the priests, like the Israelites here. We have this opportunity while it is called today to stand in awe of who God is and what he has done and accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for you is that we would respond rightly to him. Today we're going to look at Malachi chapter 2, starting with verse 4 and and working through verse 9. So go ahead and turn there, Malachi chapter 2. If you're new with us, and this is the first time you've joined us in this series, we're working our way through the book of Malachi. If you're not sure where Malachi is, that's a kind of funny word, and I know it's in the Bible. It's, uh, if you know where Matthew is in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, it's the book right before that. So if you turn like two pages to the left, unless you have a study Bible, then about 20 pages to the left, it is the uh, book right at the end of the Old Testament. So Malachi chapter 2, starting with verse 4. If you wouldn't mind, let's stand together just in honor of the Lord and His Word and follow along as I read. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I, will, I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction." Lord, thank you for your word. It is truth. Help us, God, to tremble as we see it, as we hear it, as we read it. 
to stand in awe of you, the one who spoke it and wrote it down for us. God, we praise you. Teach us. Open our hearts. Help us to behold wonderful things from your law. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Starting off here in verse 4, he says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you. Uh, last week we talked through, the Lord uh, had, had, had said, I will curse you, I'll humiliate you, and I'll cast you out. We're not going to work through those again. You can, if you weren't here, you can listen to the sermon from last week, or just even if you want to glance at verses 2 and 3. But that's what the Lord says. I will curse you, and I'll humiliate you, and I'm going to cast you out. And then he begins verse 4 and says, this is how you'll know that this command is from me. So we have this progression from verse 1. If you look at verse 1, and now, O priest, this command is for you. God is speaking, he says, to the priest, you priests who are so used to just giving out commands to so many different people, now I have a command for you. And then in verse 2 and verse 3, he says, if you won't listen to me, if you don't listen to this command that I'm giving you, then I'm going to curse you. In fact, I've already cursed you, and I'm going to humiliate you, and I'm going to cast you out. And then in verse 4, he says, and then you will know, thus you will know that it is me who's giving you this command. So he's just reiterating, listen, this is not the words of Malachi. This is the words of the Lord of hosts. It also demonstrates for us the seriousness of God's commands. He doesn't waste words. God doesn't speak in vain. What he says will come about. We either respond to it or we suffer consequences. And that's the case of the Israelites here. It says, so, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. What's my covenant with Levi. What does he mean when he says my covenant with Levi? First of all, what is a covenant? A covenant's an agreement, right? It's, a, it's like a contract between two parties. And any time that one of those parties is God, it's a big deal. Okay? And that's what we have here is a covenant between God. God is the sovereign and the priests, the Israelites, the priests are the subjects. Okay, so you have this covenant that he's talking about between God, the sovereign, and the priests who are the subjects. And with a covenant, any time either side of the covenant breaks their part of the covenant, doesn't uphold what they have covenanted to, committed to, then the entire covenant is broken. And we'll see that that's important in these next verses. So we have this covenant, and he's referring to it as my covenant with Levi, my covenant with Levi. And so what's he referring to when he says that? And what would the, the people have thought when they heard him say my covenant with Levi? First of all, it's important for us to know that in verses 4 through 7, uh, the, the priests are spoken of in the singular. So when you see the word Levi or him or his or he, it's referring to the priest, the Levitical Priests, and it kind of emphasizes for us uh, the, the, the oneness of them, okay? And not just in their oneness, but in the, the responsibility, their corporate identity and responsibility. And so anytime we see that in here, my, my covenant with Levi, when he says Levi, he's speaking of the priests, the Levitical priesthood, okay? And so uh, 
when, when, when the priests hear this, what would they think? What would the priests understand when they heard that term covenant with Levi? I think the first thing is probably uh, they would go all the way back to thinking of the whole arrangement that made them priests. Thinking through the, the Mosaic law and its offices and its worship requirements that we see not being upheld here. They would have thought about the specific priestly duties that they were called to. They also may have gone and, and, and probably thought through the story of the setting aside of the Levites. And, and go ahead and turn to Exodus 32. We'll, we'll look at that briefly. But in Exodus 32, that's actually where the Levites are set aside. And just to kind of uh, let you in on kind of what's going on before we pick up in, in uh, verse 26. You remember when Moses goes up on the mountain and while he's on the mountain, he's being given the Ten Commandments and the Lord gives him uh, the tablets with the Ten Commandments on it and tells him you need to go down to the people because they are now worshiping an idol. Remember what they made? Golden calf, right? So they make this golden calf. They've been they've heard from God. They've heard the voice of God. He's he's led them out of 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 Egypt through the Red Sea and all of these things that took place, and now they're worshiping this golden calf that they've made with their own stuff, right? And God says to, to Moses, go down because they're, they're committing idolatry, right? So he goes down. God's ticked off. Moses is ticked off, right? He takes the two tablets, throws them, and breaks them at the foot of this idol. Then he melts the idol down, takes the dust, grinds it into dust, and, and, and puts it in the water and makes the people drink the water, Okay, so that's kind of where we're picking up. And in verse, uh, let's look at 25. Okay, and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Now picture this. Okay, if all these people, this golden calf, they just drank the calf. They've been worshiping this calf, even though they had God as their God. Moses stands there and says, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Go ahead and turn back to, to Malachi. Let me, let me just take a side note on this because... You may read this, and, and I know my flesh tempts me to do this when I read some things like this. You may look at that and think, gosh, that doesn't seem very fair. You just, who's going to follow the Lord? All right, strap on your swords. Go kill your brothers. Go kill those people who, 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 who worship the, the idol. And your flesh may be tempted to say, gosh, it just doesn't sit well with me. Here's the thing. If we're thinking that way, we really don't get the holiness of God and how, how worthy he is. It's, 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 it's for us, it's unthinkable. It's like, what in the world? The Lord, the Lord told him to do that. The Lord said to do that. God is holy. 
And he had commanded them to be holy. And they followed after other gods. We see it with, with, with other nations, right? I mean, we see God send Israel out to judge other nations for, for their idolatry. And then we see it happen in the camp. And it's just like, do we really believe that God is that holy? We really believe that he is that set apart from us, that worthy to be feared and honored. They may have thought back to that. They probably did. But certainly they would have thought to the terms of the covenant of peace that was made with Aaron's grandson, Phineas. Go to Numbers. This is a, I was going to say this is a killer story. That would not have been a good choice of words. But it's, a, it's amazing. Just amazing. Okay. So just to set it up again, um, we're going to go back to Malachi. So if you can keep your finger there, do that, all right? Um, but here you have Israel, okay? And, and it says just through the beginning, we're going to pick up at verse 11, but through 1 through 10, what happened was the people of Israel begin to, um, I'll just read it, okay? They begin to whore with the daughters of Moab. Okay, so they're going after the daughters of Moab. Not only are they going after them, it says that in verse 2, these invited the people to sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So now Israel is going after the the, the daughters of Moab, and not just going after them, but worshiping, sacrificing to their idols, and and, and worshiping them, okay? And then in verse 3, it says, um, So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now, just to summarize, okay, and you can read this on your own. It's a crazy story, okay? So what happens is God is angry, obviously, and he calls the people to come to the, the tent. And there's this assembly of people who are weeping because they know what they've done. And they know what's going to happen. And they're, they're broken, okay? And they're weeping, crying out. While this is going on, one of the guys, one of the Israelites, brings in a Moabite woman, walks her through the midst of the people, through the camp, takes her into his tent. Okay? End of that story. Phineas is passionate for God. This grandson of Aaron's um, picks up this spear, runs through the camp, goes into the tent, and stabs them through the stomach. Crazy, right? Okay, so that's where we're picking it up, right? Phineas, the son of Eleazar, verse 11, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. If you jump up, um, how many verses? Uh, Verse 8 at the end, thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped because of Phineas, okay? So Phineas, verse 11, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy. This is the Lord talking about Phineas. He was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of of Israel. Okay? Now keep your finger right there in Numbers 25 and go back to Malachi chapter 2, okay? You want to make sense of this, okay? What is it talking about when it's talking about the covenant of Levi? 
certainly they would have thought of this and the terms of the covenant that are laid out in Numbers 25, all right? Everyone there? Numbers 25, Malachi chapter 2, okay? So let's look at verse 5 in Malachi chapter 2. My covenant, covenant of Levi, with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. That's what's happening in Numbers chapter 25. In fact, let's go back and forth here, okay? My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them life and peace to him. Now remember, him is plural. It's talking about the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Now here's the covenant that we have. If you look at Numbers chapter 25, here's what we can see about the covenant. Okay, We know who the covenant is between. It's between God, the sovereign, and he agrees to protect the subject, which is the priests. And the subject agrees to not just serve the sovereign, but fear the sovereign. That's what we see in Malachi and in Numbers. And the subject of the covenant is God and the priest, but the reason that they're there is because the priests had turned the people from sin, specifically in the person of Phineas, right? Phineas is like passionate for God, runs in, boom, passion for God. And God's words, he was jealous, not with the jealousy of man, he was jealous with my jealousy, that my holiness would be upheld in the camp. And so he makes this covenant with them. And what is the covenant that it speaks of? It's one, Malachi says, of life and peace. Is that what it says in Numbers 25? Verse 12, therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So God's giving them this covenant of life and peace. They're giving to God fear. Now, when Malachi says it in the words life and peace, he's kind of giving a um, an abbreviated version, right? Uh, we don't have much longer here in Numbers, but when he says life, it's not just talking about being alive. I'm going to keep you alive, but he's talking about long life. We see that in, in verse 13 of Numbers 25. It will be to him and to his descendants a perpetual priesthood. So he's talking about long life and the priesthood continuing through them. And then in Numbers 12, it talks about this covenant of peace, referring to God's care and protection. So when Malachi, God speaking through Malachi, says to them, my covenant with Levi, this is what they're thinking, okay? Numbers 25, this covenant of life and peace, this perpetual priesthood and this covenant of peace, God's care and protection, his favor that he has promised. And now that's, that's God's part of the covenant. What is the priest's part of the covenant? It's fear. That's what, that's what the Lord says in Malachi here. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. That's my covenant with him. And I gave them to him. I upheld my end of the deal. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. Not only was I upholding my part of the deal of the covenant, but he upheld his as well. He feared me. He stood in awe of me. And so here's the two parts of the covenant that he's referring to. Peace and life from God and fear from the priests. 
That's not what we see in the priests of Malachi's day. They don't fear God. God upholds his part. God upholds his end of the bargain always. He doesn't change. When he makes a promise, he continues with this promise. He's faithful to his promises. He upholds his promises. He does not change. But the priesthood failed God. And they're not upholding. They're not fearing God as we talked about last week. And really, if you think about it, it's a pretty good deal for the priests. Right? Just recognize who I am. Just see who I am. Just think for a minute who I am and stand in awe of me and I will give you life and peace. That's a pretty good deal. Just stand in awe of me. Just acknowledge who I am. Just just see me as I am. And I'll give you life and peace. Notice what it says. He stood in awe of my name. That's the point. That's the point we talked about last week. And do we fear God? Do we truly fear God? They did not fear God, but do we fear God? That's what verse 14 is saying. I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And that's the point here. The Levitical priesthood feared God. They stood in awe of his name, and therefore he gave them life and peace because that fear resulted in fruit. That fear resulted in fruit. And that's what we see in verse 6. He says, True instruction was in their mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. I think we can see here fruit of fear. What does it look like for a priest to fear God? We see that in verse 6 here. What did the priest standing in awe of God result in? Four things. It says in verse 6, He stood in awe of me, so he guarded knowledge. It says true instruction was in his mouth. That's the opposite of what the priest in Malachi's day is doing, right? They're allowing anything. They're reteaching. You want to bring that kind of an animal? That's great. You want to bring this? That's great. We'll accept whatever. Wholehearted worship doesn't matter. You don't have to fear God. Their instruction was flawed. They're not upholding the law of God. But when we fear God, when the priests fear God, the Lord says, true instruction is in their mouth. He guarded knowledge. He was honest. The Levitical priesthood, they were honest. No wrong was found on his lips, it says. No wrong was found on his lips. Third, he was consistently obedient. It says he walked with me in peace and uprightness. This, This might not be the picture that comes to mind when we just... When we keep saying, fear God, fear God, fear God, stand in awe of God, stand in awe of God. Is this the picture that naturally comes to mind? Probably not. But God is loving. And when we stand in awe, he beckons us, not pushes us away and says, stand in awe of me, fear me. So get away from me. But when we stand in awe of God, when we fear God, he pulls us in. And so here this 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 tension, this almost. What's the word? Tension, that's the word I'm looking for, okay? This tension where they stand in awe of God, they fear God, and yet God invites them in and they walk with me in peace and uprightness. 
And so fearing God is not this being pushed away from God and being kept away from him because he's so awesome and we fear him. He invites us in. And for us, through Christ, he invites us in that we might have fellowship with him. With the one we fear, with the one we stand in awe of, we can have fellowship with him. It says of the priest, they walked, they walked with me. They walked with me in peace and uprightness. And fourth, it says, he stood in awe of me, so he was courageous in his pursuit of holiness. Phineas, right? He was courageous in his pursuit of holiness. It says he turned many, verse 6, he turned many from iniquity. Pursuing holiness, pursuing holiness, pursuing holiness. That picture of Phineas is, is, is the picture we should have here. God is holy, and he demands holiness in the camp. And so this absolute courage and passion to deal with the sin. It's a picture for the priest that God is giving here in verse 6. Look, it's, it's like God saying, look, 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 this is what I seek. The Levitical priest, that's what I was, that's what I'm looking for. They stood in awe of me. They feared me. They're in wonder of me. And this is what the result is. God is holy and we will walk in his ways. We will walk in his ways. It goes on in verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God's saying this is how it should be. This is how it should be with you, priests. But it's not. This is not some unique group of people. They saw that I am to be feared and they feared me and they responded to who I am. And this was the fruit of that. The lips of the priest should guard knowledge. People should seek instruction from his mouth. He's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The Lord says this is the way it should be. The lips of the priest and my covenant with Levi They guarded knowledge. You do not. People should seek instruction from your mouth. They don't. You're a messenger of the Lord and you're not living that way. It's this high calling of the priesthood and they're failing, failing because they don't fear God. Verse 8. But you've turned aside from the way. Now he's speaking to these Israelites about themselves you have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction you have corrupted the covenant of levi says the lord of hosts here's this picture of the covenant with levi and these priests who loved god and they stood in awe of god and they were faithful to god and god says that should be you but it's not You have failed me. You have not upheld your end of the bargain. The priest's purpose was to serve in in, in a relationship to God and his people that would represent his holiness. And they don't. They don't care about God's holiness. They just accept whatever, whatever, whatever kind of worship you want to give the Lord. Just bring it as long as you're happy. They're called to bring them into the presence, God's presence, for the blessing 
that that entailed. Remember last week we talked about numbers and that blessing from numbers. Chapter six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And last week we talked about that's what the Lord was saying in verse two of of, of Malachi chapter two. I'm gonna curse that blessing. And no longer is it gonna be a blessing anymore. It's gonna be a curse and you're gonna say it and people are gonna expect blessing from me and they're gonna get disaster instead. I'm gonna curse that blessing. But the end of that, right after the blessing in Malachi chapter 6, it says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That's what the priests were supposed to be doing. But instead, they're making a mockery, a mockery of God and worshiping Him. Verse 9. Verse 8 again. He says to them, You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You cause many to, st- rather, than, rather than encouraging and drawing people into my presence, you've caused them to stumble. And then he reiterates in, in verse nine, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Just like in verses two and three, you don't listen to me, there's going to be consequences. There's gonna be consequences for your lack of, of fear. There's going to be consequences for your lack of honor. You've broken the covenant and therefore I will not uphold my end. Here's what I'm going to do in, in the last minutes that we have. I want to take from verses 6 and 7. We talked about um, four characteristics. What, is a, what does a priest who fears God look like? Because again, as we go through this, um, the thing I, I love about Malachi is we're talking about the priesthood. We're talking about the priesthood here. We're talking about the priesthood here. And yet, it is not far from any of us. And this attitude in the priest, this attitude of cynicism, and that's, that's what we're dealing with with the priests of, 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 of Malachi's day. They're cynical against God. He hasn't given them what they think they deserve. And so they're cynical and, and as we go through this, I want to remind us we're not far from this mindset. And it absolutely applies to us today, those of us who are in Christ. In verses 6 and 7, we, we talked about, again, these, these four things, the fruit of fear in priests. What a priest who fears God looks like. And what, I'm, what I want to do with the rest of our time is, is, is show that... Um, it's not only something that the priest should see, but it's something we ought to see in our own lives and embrace as evidence of fear of God. We talked last week about we ought to fear God. We ought to be standing in awe of God. What does that look like practically lived out? How do I look at my life and see, do I, do I fear him? Do I stand in awe of him? What are the fruit that I should see in my life? And I hope to show that this applies absolutely to us. And, and to do that, I want to first look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous 
light. You see what Peter says there in the midst of that? We're not going to take all four of those things. We're just going to focus on one because it applies to what we're talking about here. You, if you're in Christ, you're a royal priesthood. You now are set apart for certain things. We no longer have a select group of people who intercede for us. We can, through Christ, approach the throne of grace with confidence. We don't need a priesthood anymore. We have Christ. He's he's the perfect, great, high priest. And what, what Peter says is, now you are a royal priesthood. You are set apart for certain things. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We don't need a separate priesthood. We are the priesthood now. And as a part of that, these truths apply to us as well. And I I hope that as we look at these passages from Malachi and some passages from the New Testament, we see that. This is not just where the priests can fail. It's where we can fail and often do fail. And so what does it look like, not just for a priest, but for a Christian who fears God? What does it look like? A Christian who fears God, number one, guards knowledge. You're going to find, very quickly, same four things, okay? A Christian who fears God guards knowledge. Malachi says, true instruction, true instruction was in his mouth. Well, how does that apply to us? Doesn't that just apply to the pastor? Doesn't that just apply to the to to the person who preaches on Sunday and teaches us, or maybe other pastors that are a part of the church, and they're called to teach in different aspects, and and then they sit with me and they teach me things? Yes. Because we're Christians too. But it applies just as much as you. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 5, talking about the church, he says the the household of, or the church, which is the household of God, a pillar and buttress of truth. You individually as a part of the church, you are a part of something that is called to uphold, lift up truth, support truth. What is truth? Jesus tells us. Lord, sanctify them. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so as Christians, if we fear God, we will see in our lives a desire to uphold truth, to guard knowledge. Right instruction is in their mouth. Right instruction is in their mouth. People sought instruction from them. That should be the case for us. Do you know what this is? God's word written down. We hold it. We have it. For for some of you, you probably have like eight or nine or ten copies in your house. Do you know that doesn't matter if you're not reading it? It makes no difference. Like, we're not going to stand in line. How many copies of the Bible did you have? Nine, sir. Okay, go in. How many did you have? Four, but I gave ten away. Oh, well, you go in. You're better than that person. It's, we ought to guard knowledge. We ought to be seeking truth from God's word. It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And people ought to be seeking truth from us because of how we handle it and rightly speak about God's word. He says that a priest is a messenger of the Lord. Well, that's not us, right? 
that was specific for the priesthood. No. Go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5. As a follower of Christ, you are set apart as a messenger. A messenger for the Lord. Let's start with verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are called to be an ambassador, ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ. You're a messenger of the gospel. And when we fear God, we will respond rightly to that and we will take it seriously so that we want right instruction coming from our mouth. We're messengers of the Lord. What message do we have? The gospel. Jesus saves. And if you tell someone Jesus saves, then you need to be be able to answer the next question from what? So we need to be in the word and studying and knowing what does he save us from? Really? He saves us from that? That's real? There really is a hell. There really is a God's wrath? Yes. And we need to be able to uphold that and know that and teach that and instruct others in that. If we want to see people come to know Christ through faith, we need to know the Bible. Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. We need to know God's word. Secondly, first, a Christian who fears God guards knowledge. Secondly, a Christian who fears God is honest and truthful. Remember last week when we were talking about fear and giving examples of those who fear God, people who saw God and responded in fear? Isaiah was one of those in Isaiah 6. And remember what he says instantly when he sees God, right? He, he, he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of what? Unclean lips, and, my, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Instantly, the response of Isaiah to fear was confessing sin, and for him, it was unclean lips. A, a Christian who fears God is honest, truthful, right things on his lips. No wrong, it says, was found on his lips. Psalm 19, verse 14 get there let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and my redeemer let's turn a, a few pages forward from that to psalm 34 it's a great picture for us starting with verse 11 come O children listen to me i will teach you the fear of the lord okay what does that look like Teach me the fear of the Lord. 
What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. A Christian who fears God speaks truth. Right things are on their lips. They're honest. They're people of integrity. Remember, we went through Ephesians. And if you were here for that, Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What is truth? God's word is truth. Jump down to verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What should be coming out? What should be on our lips instead of untruth? The gospel. God's word. That's what builds up. That's what gives grace. Third, a a Christian who fears God is consistently obedient. Malachi says he walked with God in peace and righteousness. Obedience. But I see obedience. We We ought to seek obedience. We ought to pursue obedience. We ought to love obedience because we love the one we're obeying. Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. First Timothy chapter six. Verse 11. But as for you, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness. It's not just Old Testament priests who are supposed to continue and 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 and, and be obedient consistently. You're called to that. And it's fear of God that leads us in that. It's a fruit of standing in awe of God. Fourth, finally, a Christian who fears God courageously pursues holiness. Think of Phineas and the passion for God's holiness. That should be a passion in us. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything Every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What brings it about? Fear of God. Because these promises are true and before the fear of God, because of the fear of God, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion. It's not just priests who see this fruit in their life. But Christians who fear God courageously pursue holiness. And here's here's the point that I want to make, okay? In closing, this should describe us. People who guard knowledge, a people who 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 fear God and are honest and truthful, people who are, are consistently obedient and courageously pursue holiness, that should describe us. But it should describe us. Because we fear God. It should describe us because we stand in awe of God. And and too often we get things backwards. We want to be one or two of these things. We pursue after one or two of these things. And that's not the way it works. Our role is stand in awe of God. And the fruit of truly standing in awe of God, the fruit of truly fearing God will be these things. If I fear God, then I'm going to see All four of these things working out in my life. 
I'm going to guard truth. I'm going to love his word. I'm going to love it. If I truly stand in awe of God, if I fear God, then, then I'm going to have truthful things coming from my lips. If I truly stand in awe and I fear God, then I'm going to be consistently obedient. Not perfect. It doesn't say perfect. But consistently obedient. And if I truly fear and stand, of God, stand in awe of God, then I'm going to courageously pursue holiness. Not just in my life, but in the body of Christ. But here's what happens if we don't truly fear God. Then we'll pick one, maybe two of these things, and we'll try. We're doctrine people, okay? I, I, I don't really fear God, but I'm a doctrine person. I'm a doctrine person, and I want right doctrine. And I want, I want the truth. I want to teach the truth. I want to defend the truth. I want to debate the truth. Let's just get in a debate about the truth. But it'll be for the wrong reasons if we don't fear God. Or you'll pick another one, okay? You'll say, I can't stand doctrine people. I just want, let's just live for Jesus. Let's just walk in his ways. Don't give me the doctrine mumbo jumbo. I don't, that's just, I don't want to do that. Let's just, let's not talk, let's just follow Jesus. Let's just follow Jesus. Let's just walk with Jesus. We'll hold hands with Jesus and we'll go on dates with Jesus and Jesus, 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 Jesus. But it won't be truth. You won't have truth because you don't truly fear God and you just, You just want to be on dates with Jesus all the time instead of what does God tell me? How can I obey him? What does his word say that that I need to do to worship him rightly? But when I fear God, then I'm going to see myself pursuing him, his truth, what he desires, desiring to be with him consistently. There's a big difference between the two. If I try to let one of these things motivate my fear of God, it won't work. It won't work. I need to stand in awe of God and who he is. Look at Malachi 2.9. If we're not careful, if we don't fear God, this is going to be true of us. 2.8, excuse me. You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. I fear that. I fear that. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I, when Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine thing. Um, that is true of me. I love it. I just love. What do you want? What do you teach? What do you say about this guy? What do you say about this? I love that. I love studying it. I love it. My desire is that that love comes from a fear of God. It doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't make me perfect. I, I'll, I'm, I was just talking to someone this week. I'm, I'm, there are some things I'm teaching you that are wrong. I have no idea what they are. If you told me, I would change them, okay? I promise. I, I'm, my teaching is absolutely, I'm studying the Bible and I'm teaching you what I see in the Bible. I, I, I can't be right on every doctrine, right? I'm not right on every doctrine because there's people I look up to that are different than me and I disagree with them. And, 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 and so one of us has to be wrong and it's possibly me, <laughs> right? I can't be right on all of it. If, but here's the thing. Here's what fear of God does. And, and, and I'm telling you the truth. Lord, and this is my prayer. Lord, show me. Like, show me what it is and I'll change no matter what that means. I will believe the truth if you just show me what it is. 
That's what we should be as people. We should seek the truth and, and, and seek the truth and seek the truth out of fear of God. Because I don't want this to be true of me. I don't want to be a person that the Lord says, you led so many people astray. Not, not necessarily through your preaching, through your living. See, all of us, if, if, I, if I went around and interviewed, hey, are you a theologian? Are you a theologian? Are you a theologian? Are you a theologian? My guess is, just out of fear, eight out of ten of you would probably say, mm-mm, not a theologian, not a theologian. That's a lie. 100% of us here are theologians. Every single one of us have come up with ideas about God. You have developed doctrines in your head and mind. You have beliefs. You've, you've said, this is what I believe about God. This is what I believe about God. And people, you, people are being taught by you. Because the things that you believe about God, you're living out. You're living those things out. And so if someone comes to you and says, hey, what do you what do you think I should do about this? Well, here's a little chicken soup for the soul. Uh, Let me just let me give you this. And God helps those who helps themselves. No. And uh, whatever, whatever. Truth, truth. Out of fear of God, we ought to be seeking truth. We ought to be defending truth. We ought to seek holiness. We ought to seek holiness in what comes out of our mouth. That there be nothing wrong on our lips. No untruth, no dishonesty on our lips. That we would guard holiness. That we would see that we're called to be messengers. Messengers for the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you for truth. Jesus, you said, we will know the truth. We will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Thank you for truth. God, help us. I, I don't even know how to communicate to myself the fear of God. How can I communicate it in a way that causes others to stand in awe of you? Help us, God, by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be a people amazed at you. That our hearts would be broken as we read through this passage in Malachi and see a people who should know, who should know and have turned their backs on you. By your grace, would you protect us, guard us against that cynical mindset of theirs may we be a people who truly fear you and that the fruit of that fear would would be evident in those around us not just in this time together in our neighborhoods our workplaces in our families lord would you help us to fear you and in that fear would we guard guard truth would there be honesty and integrity that's evident in our lives lord help us to walk with you in peace and righteousness, to be obedient to you in that. Help us to guard, to fight for holiness, Lord. Courageously pursue it in our lives first and continuing to seek that, Lord, to to turn many from iniquity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.